Remember this, the last couple of weeks we've seen people try to trip and trap Jesus. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees. And um, there's a man that's been watching this and he's a scribe. And the Bible says in Mark 12, verse 28, that's going to be our starting point today. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but He, and to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that no one dared ask Him questions. Let us pray. And Father in heaven, we thank you again for the truth of your word, the firm foundation built on love, but not as the world is able to understand it. Only those that come to you for you are love. So please, in this matter, Father, it is crucial that attention is paid. Speak clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. July 1961. 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were to gather on the first day of their training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they lost the NFL championship. The Packers had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now, finally, first day of training camp, They're excited. They're ready to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game, to take it to the next level, and to start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Imagine their surprise when their coach, Vince Lombardi, took them into a room, and this is how he started the training camp. He picked up a football, and he gave them a speech that started like this. This is a football. This is a football. The best-selling author of When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi, says it like this. Lombardi took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all, Gentlemen, he said, holding the pigskin in his hand, this is a football. 
And as he coached these men through that season, six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37 to nothing to win the NFL championship. Lombardi believed in getting back to the basics, building on a firm foundation, practicing and perfecting fundamentals. And this idea, these principles, if you think about it, are important in every aspect of our life. Getting back to the basics, making first things first, building on a firm foundation, practicing and perfecting fundamentals. It's important when you're growing up, when we're uh, learning the alphabet. We learn the alphabet so we can learn to put words together. We put those words together so we can begin to form sentences. For a musician, while it's important that you learn the notes so that you can eventually learn the scales, so that you can eventually play the instrument and improvise. Even in first aid class, a lot of you don't know that I met my wife in a CPR class. In first aid class, no, she was not the dummy. Uh, she always says that though, okay? <laughs> wow. No, she always... Wow. Punch him in the face. They always say this. No. They always say, well, she's your first aid partner, and she always answers, and she always says, well, no, I wasn't a dummy. So that's why I said that. I did not. Okay. She's still smiling. We're good. Okay. <laughs> but listen, in first aid class, they teach you the ABCs, right? What do they teach you? Airway, breathing, circulation, all right? This is where you start before you administer first aid, because if these things aren't happening, if these things aren't working, Houston, we have a problem, all right? She works in the ER and they learn to do what they call triage. First things first. Somebody comes in with a sprained ankle, they're gonna take a back seat to somebody that's coming in there grabbing their chest and having a problem. They're gonna take a back seat to somebody that has a gunshot wound. So first things first, always important. Fundamentals, foundations, getting back to the basics, making sure we're looking at what's most important. And in the Christian life, you would agree because it's scriptural that you were created for a relationship with God, with one another. Sometimes, because we get so distracted, that's the society we're living in. You can walk into a room today and you have 15 people and 13 of them are doing this. It's not relational. Right? We have 24-7 news. People have access to us like at no other time in history they have access to the individual. And it's video games, and it's entertainment, and we're getting swamped. And sometimes what we need to do is we need to go back into the locker room. See, Vince Lombardi took his team into the locker room and said this is a football so he could focus back on the foundations. Jesus takes us into the church and says this is the goat skin, this is the Word of God, and we need to get back to the fundamentals. We need to get back to the fundamentals. And we see these fundamentals today as he is asked a question by a man that is called a scribe. Now, what exactly is a scribe? Well, let me describe it. <laughs> wow. You're cool. Okay, 0 for 2, swing and miss. Okay, the scribes were the one who drew up the legal documents. They took the scriptures in the original languages, they transcribed them. That's what the scribes did. They devoted themselves to the study of the law and the determination of its applications. 
So they were kind of like lawyers to the daily life. They knew the scripture. They were always busy copying it down, finding the right applications. So the scribes were extremely important amongst the Jewish leaders. Most of the scribes opposed Jesus Christ and his followers, but not all of them. Not the man that we see today. The man we see today had a very interesting experience. He's kind of watching all of the conflict play out as the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come and they take their shot. All right, And the, the Pharisees and the Herodians say, well, should we pay our taxes? Jesus says, well, let me see a coin. And he says, render that unto Caesar, that which is Caesar. And you have to imagine that the scribe just sat there going, that's awesome. All right. Now the Sadducees, okay, you take your time. All right, and you take your turn. They come over and they say, okay, well, man, and, and he's married to this woman, and he dies, and so his brother marries her, and they come up with this ridiculous scenario. Jesus doesn't even answer the scenario that he comes up with. And this scribe is saying, wow. Because it says here in the passage, it says the scribe, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, he's not coming to trip or trap Jesus. He's going to ask him a question. And I'm going to emphasize how important this question is by simply looking at the truth of Scripture. Here's why. In his ministry, while he walked this planet, Jesus asked 307 questions. He asked 307 questions. He was asked 83, 183 questions. He answered three. He answered three questions. So if you come upon a passage and it just so happens to be one of the questions he answered, church, we might want to do one of these things. All right, We might want to stay attentive. We might want to take a look. Because here's this guy who spent most of his time transcribing, applying the Scriptures, describing how these Scriptures should be applied to the everyday life. And he comes to Jesus with a test. Now, understand, the Sadducees, Pharisees, Herodians, they're trying to trip him up and trap him. This man is saying, I think this guy's legitimate, but there's a litmus test. Sometimes we test people to test their character and to test what they know, to see if they're the real deal. This man wasn't looking to trip Jesus. It says he was genuinely looking at these interactions and he was like, hmm, this is pretty interesting. But here's the litmus test. Because if he is who I think he might be, then he'll be able to answer this question. And so he holds out a little test. Have you ever tested someone? Never, all right? Never tested someone? When I was growing up, there was a movie that was uh, pretty popular. And in the movie, the young boy finds what he thinks is the girl of his dreams, and he goes to his mentor, and he says she has to pass a test. A test? What kind of a test? He says it's the door test. What is the door test? Well, the door test was this. All right, easy. All right, the door test was this. The door test was, okay, you would lock the door, and then when you go to pick her up for the date, now we can't do this today because now we have electronic door locks and all that kind of stuff. But this worked back in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s. This was the door test. All right, you would leave the passenger side locked and you would leave the driver's side locked. Now when you would go around, you would open the door for her and this was the door test. As you walked around the back of the car, and in the movie that's how they do it, he walks around the back of the car. If she's the right one, 
what she'll do is she'll lean over and open the lock on your side. And so in the movie, the way that the whole scene plays out, as he's walking around in slow motion, and as he's walking around, she reaches over, the music swells, it's all so romantic, and she does this, and he's like, yes, and that's the door test, all right? <laughs> to see if she's the real, yes, all right? Now to see if he's the real deal, when we're kids, all right? If somebody was part of our club, what would you make them do? You would ask them to say the password. You would give them the password, and if they didn't have the password, then they weren't part of the club. Jesus, do you know the password? Alright, and so he asks him, he says, which is the first commandment of all? Now perhaps when we hear this question, we're thinking he's going to answer directly from the Ten Commandments. That would make sense to most of us. The Ten Commandments, quick review, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make idols, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those are the first four. Those are directed between mankind and God. The last six are divided in another way. It's the way that we treat each other. So number five would be honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ten, you shall not covet. You would think that when he's saying, okay, what is the first commandment of all, that Jesus would go right back to the ten and answer from there. But in order to understand how Jesus answers, you have to understand something else. That this Jesus who's walking the earth, all things were made through him that were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus, having walked this earth, knows that the law is there for two reasons. To encourage man to love God and to love their neighbor. And so he doesn't go from the Ten Commandments at all. Remember this, is that the first rule that was given to Adam and Eve was about relationship, wasn't it? Why do you put that tree in the garden? Why do you even give them a choice? Because if it's going to be a love relationship, they have to have the ability to say yes, that's correct, but they also have to have the ability to say no. Right? And so that tree is right there, and at that time mankind falls. Now mankind is not given one rule, now they're given ten commandments. Jesus summarizes these commandments beautifully. Listen to his answer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And at this point, you have to think that the scribe is just sitting there going, yes, yes, yes. But then Jesus adds, this is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he's quoting Scripture, not the Ten Commandments, but he's quoting from the books of law. And now we take a look at the first thing that he quotes, because that's where we're going to find our first few points, because here we are. I mean, if we're created for relationship, all right, and if God's greatest gift to us and the firm foundation is love, then we want to do that well. I don't know about you, but I want to experience those love relationships to the full, don't you? All right, we don't want to miss we don't, want to, we don't want to miss that at all. So today what we're going to do is we're going to have seven ways to maximize, to get the most out of this gift that God has given us. And we're going to start exactly where Jesus does. He starts with a passage from, not Exodus with the Ten Commandments, but Deuteronomy. All right, you see this 
passage that he's quoting was called the Shema. Alright? Religious Jews would be very familiar with this. For thousands of years, religious Jews have been saying this not only once, but a lot of the times twice a day. When they would recite it, a lot of the time they would recite it with their hands over their eyes. Why? Because of what Shema means. Shema means here. It's off of the first word of hear, O Israel. So that's the Shema. Now, it's interesting when we take a look at this because when we say Shema, it says, okay, hear, O Israel, but the word in the original language is not just a matter of hearing. It's two sides of the same coin that basically infers hear and obey. You don't hear this without saying, listen, and so that's what he emphasizes, the hero Israel. This would have been the thing that they taught their children to recite. And they would do it once, at least once a day, a lot of the times twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all our mind, and with all your strength. Now, before we get into our seven points today, before we get into our seven ways of maximizing this gift of love, Okay, of course, he breaks it down into saying, love God, love your neighbor. But the very first thing that has to happen is we have to realize, just like it says here, the Lord, our God. He has to be your God. And the only way he is your God is by the greatest act of love the world has ever known, by sending his son to die on a cross. And if you haven't repented and gone to the cross, then he's not your God. But this is how he becomes your God. So the very first part of this, we have to, number one, we have to recognize love. Because the Bible says it like this. The Bible says that God is love, according to John 4, 8. God is love. He's the author of life. He created you for relationship with him, with one another, and he is love. If you understand that, then what I'm about to say is going to make so much sense to you. If you understand that God is love, He's the definition of love, then it'll be no surprise to you when you consider how confused we are about what love is. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> We get confused about love. Why? Is love not the most confusing word in the English language? Alright, I love a good ice cream cone. But I don't love a good ice cream cone the way that I love my children. And I don't love the, my children the way I love the Miami Dolphins. Because I don't love the Miami Dolphins at all. I don't love my children the way that I love my wife. Alright, and so the word itself is very confusing. Even the Greeks have three different terms for it. Alright, so the word love is very confusing, but let's confuse the subject of love a little bit more. Let's add in your emotions, shall we? That's fun when we add our emotions into it, because then love gets extremely confusing. Right? So it's confusing because of our emotions. It is confusing because of the word. Uh, our emotions reduce it. Do they not? We reduce love by letting emotions control it and saying, well, I'm not feeling the love. What if love is more of an action and a noun than it is a feeling? We get confused by this word. 
We make it about, listen, we make it about lust, which is very self-serving, which is the total opposite. One word can get confused in so many ways. Why is this? This is going to make a lot of sense. Because God is love, and the enemy is always looking to confuse your idea about God. Does that make sense? He's always looking to confuse your idea about who God is. And if he's always going to look for attention in the wrong places, you're going to be looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, you're going to be uh, basing it based off of your emotions. You're going to be using a different word. And, and we're going to get confused about it. So how do we get back to the realization of what love is, the recognition of what love is? God is love. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Are you further confused? Then if you really want to recognize it and whether or not it's love that's coming into your life or something other than that, then just dig in here. And for right now, we'll keep our place in Mark, but we'll head over to 1 Corinthians for a moment. And you'll hear this read at a lot of weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. And it reads like this. And you can keep a place marked there because we're actually back there. 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it me nothing. This is the description of it. And in this description of it, where it says, love suffers long and is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Stop right there, my friends. That's the description of love. And you could easily substitute the word love for God, for God is love. And you could say God is patient, God is kind. And then you could substitute the name of Jesus. And you could say Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. And now the question is this. If you recognize that that is love, that is the standard, can you put your name in there? So the very first thing and the most important thing that we have to do is we have to recognize it. But not just recognizing the source of love, and that's God. We also have to receive his love. All right? In order for him to be called our God, as we said, we repent, we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our heart that God the Father 
raised him from the dead. But this is where the breakdown occurs. Because some have said, you know what? I've said the prayer. I've gone up. I go to church. I read my Bible. But some have not still received the love of God. You may have received salvation, but you haven't fully received the love of God. Why? Because I've been hurt before. All right? I had some bad love experiences in my life. It was my parents. It was my coach. It was my pastor. It was my priest. And because we had bad experiences, what we do is it makes it hard for us because the trust relationship was broken. But let me explain what this is like. If you've ever had a bad boss and he treated you terribly and you left that job and then you went to a job where you had a good boss and that boss always built you up and cared for you and loved you, Sometimes you have trouble receiving the good treatment because you're expecting the hammer to fall and you're thinking that it's going to go wrong because you're so used to being treated bad. So what happens is this, is because you had a bad experience, you miss the good experience. And what happens with us is that we miss the best experience because we let the people that hurt us dictate how we receive love and how we extend that love. We have to be able to receive God's love. Here's the other thing. So we have to recognize God as love. We have to receive His love. Here's the third thing. We have to reciprocate. And that's why it says here, okay, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. You love God. Why do we love God? Because the Bible tells us He first loved us. He first loved us. And so, now we're called to reciprocate it. Okay, love God, but I don't love Him based on my ability to love. I love Him based on the ability, wow, you did what for me? And so we reciprocate that love. Now this is where it gets really, really challenging. Okay? Because Jesus says it like this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. What does it mean to reciprocate our love to God? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest. I will show myself to him. That's John 14, 21. So the way that we reciprocate love for God is by doing what he says. But I can't do what he says on my own. That's when we were under the law. Because I'm filled with this Holy Spirit, I have the ability to love because Jesus is inside of me and Jesus is love. And so I should be loved too. And that's how we reciprocate it. But again, we get confused. There's nothing, nothing in this world like unreciprocated love. Oh, the pangs, the pangs of unrequited love, the poet says. But listen, we can make it simpler for you. Has anybody in this room ever went to someone and said, I need to tell you that I love you, only to hear nothing back? Dead silence. I love you, yeah, and thank you. Okay, <laughs> not quite what I was hoping for here. All right? Or how many of you have had the words said to you, somebody said, I love you, and you're like, okay, that's great. No, I don't know what to do. All right, I don't know what to say. Right? All right, and so these are confusing words, but we don't like unreciprocated love. We were wired not to desire unreciprocated love. When I show my love to you, I want it shown back to me. I really do. Let's be honest. When you show somebody love, alright, so God's saying, listen, I created you for love relationship. Okay, here's what I did. Here's my offering. I sent my son to a cross. Okay. 
I'm asking you. You've received that? You received that gift? Man, that should change everything. When you know here, He loves you. God, what do you want? What comes next? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? It should really change everything, but here's the problem. All right? It's hard for us to reciprocate love because you know this. You know that love is costly. Would it do any of you any good to stand and take your vows with someone saying, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to give my whole heart to you. All right? And as you're standing to make your vows, and that person is going to look back to you and they're going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to love you for the most part. Okay? I'm going to, I'm most, most, most of me is going to love you, not all of me, though. I mean, but we're married. I know that you've given me everything that you had. You've given me your whole heart, and, and I'm going to receive that. But I'm going to kind of love you, you know, as, as I'm able to, I'm going to. All right? Does that even make sense as I'm saying it? It doesn't. All right? It is a commitment, and the commitment is costly. Listen, going to rent a car this weekend, do you want comprehensive coverage? No. No, I just don't. Why? Because it costs more. Listen, comprehensive love and returning that love, it can be quite costly. That's why Jesus said, you want to follow me? Let a man deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. Because he wants all of you. The good, the bad, the ugly. He wants it all. And nobody loves you like that. It's worth reciprocating. So first we have to recognize God as love. Then we have to be able to receive that love, then reciprocate that love. But number four, you were made to reflect that love. You're made to be a reflection of him as you walk this earth. All right? Adam and Eve in the garden. They walked with God in the cool of day perfectly until they sinned against God, then they hid from God. But his perfect love casts out fear. Now, he's filled you with that perfect love so that you can go out there and be kind of love. No! So that you could be the love of Jesus in a dark world. And when you get pressed, that's when people say, well, is, is it love that's in there? Well, when I'm going to squeeze, is, is, is there love in there? Because you're made to be a reflection. How do we become a reflection? Well, think about this. When you take a mirror and you want to reflect the sun, what do you do? Point the mirror towards the sun. So if you want to reflect Jesus, you want to reflect the sun, what do you need to do? You need to look to Him in your situations. We need to look to Him because you were made to reflect Him. Now, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Listen, people can tell what you love by how you live. They can tell what you love by how you live. They can tell what's important by the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, by the way that you use your talents. And I don't know about you, but when somebody asks me the question and periodically asks, do you love God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? Do you? Is it reflected in the choices that you make? Because your choices reflect who and what you love. 
Now, this is really cool. Because Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, your strength. He quotes the Shema. But the second part of the verse, I don't want anybody to look at their Bibles at this moment. You'll rarely hear that in church. But I want to see if anybody, without looking down at your Bible, can tell me when he says this, he says, okay, this is the first commandment, um, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can anybody tell me where that command is found in the books of law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, without guessing that you know where it is. Deuteronomy. Listen, this blew my mind when I looked at it. It's Leviticus. 18.19. Leviticus. When you think of Leviticus, what do you think of? All I think of is, I really don't want to read this again. All right? It's, it's about the law. It's about sacrifice. It's about these, these grain offerings and these peace offerings. And we take a look at it, and that's all. We're so, we're so not excited about studying the book of Leviticus because we associate it all with the law. But listen. These books of law are so important. When you look at the intricacy of the sacrifices, each of them show us a comprehensive view of what is going to be done on the cross for you. Leviticus is stellar. And yet in Leviticus, buried, in chapter 19, at the very end of verse 18, love your neighbor. And this brings us to number five. You see, we're supposed to take the love that has been given us and we're supposed to relay that love. It's a great thing to sit in church. It is a great thing to listen to messages and be self-motivated. I tell you what, some of those drives back from Honey Lake about five and a half hours long, I'm worshiping, I'm listening. And these are good things. It's a good thing to sit before the Lord. It's a necessary thing. It is the most necessary thing. But also to take whatever it is that He gives you and look for the opportunity to give it. Has he given you love in this room? Then go give it to someone. Has he given you joy? Then go give it to someone. Has your joy backed up? Sometimes your joy and your peace can get backed up because we're not taking the thing that he gave us and giving it away or we're putting it in the wrong place. Listen, I've given my peace away before to people. Have you? Have you let somebody come into your life and make your life not peaceful? You put them on the throne of your heart. Now, God's given us an endless reservoir of peace. But listen, we are to be discerning in where we say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, show, I'm going to uh, pass that peace on. I'm going to pass that joy on. I'm going to extend that love. But sometimes, because we'll extend that love in the wrong place, or we'll give our peace away, what will happen is this. You're acting of his authority. And you're wondering why you have no more peace when the Bible says let the peace of God rule your heart and that he gives a peace that surpasseth understanding. You're supposed to take the love that he's given you and you're supposed to pour it out. How do we do that? How do we relay that? Here's a few simple things that I jotted down. We'll love others. We'll relay that love as we're called to when we are set on giving instead of taking. That's number one. Instead of taking. Number two, when we are set to listen instead of speaking, said the pastor. Number three, when we pray instead of push. 
Number four, when we're set to help instead of hurt. When we're set to help instead of hurt. Number five, when we speak the truth in love, even when it's painful. That's loving someone. A lot of people think, and I, I've been asked this question a lot recently, well, Pastor John, you know, am I just supposed to uh, do this and this? No, you're not. You're supposed to speak the, with brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to speak the truth in love. That's loving someone. Listen, Jesus turning over the tables in the temple was actually an act of love. Number six. When we build instead of break. When we're committed to building instead of breaking. Number seven. When we meet a need without expectation. Those are just some simple ways. Your kids are being given a list right now in the children's ministry of ten ways that we can love other people. And it sounds a little bit like that. I changed it up a little bit for us. That's number five. The last two points are very quick. All right. Number six. Okay, so we want to relay that love. Sometimes loving your neighbor. And be very careful with this one, please. Sometimes it can mean release. If anybody here has ever felt compelled to walk away from a love relationship because you believed it was not only for your benefit, but it was truly for the benefit of that person, we've seen an example of this in the book of Luke. It's called the prodigal son. You can't tell me that the father does not love the son when the son walks away, but he loves him enough to let him go. And at that moment, for us, letting someone go for us always means this, never giving up on them. We're always praying, but sometimes you have to step back. Here's the thing. How do you know when to press in to the conflict? How do you know when to be still during the conflict? And how do you know when to step back? There's only one way to know this, and that is your own worship relationship your own relationship with God. No one else can tell you. They can help guide you towards biblical principles. But the only way you'll know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run is when you're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So that's... No, I did not just equivocate Kenny Rogers' words with Scripture. Last but not least, the realization of love. Understand this. You are only getting portions, tastes of God's love right now. His love, when it's fully realized, we're going to be in love relationship in a way. You're going to see people in a way that you cannot imagine. Right now, we're the church. I listened to a message recently when... We get to heaven more in the presence of Jesus. You're going to love like you've never loved before. And some of you have experienced really amazing love. But listen again to the uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. But love's realization, love's full realization is not even here yet. It's coming. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they're going to fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then 
that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away these things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These is of these is love. The greatest of these is love. That's the power of God. Now, when Jesus answered, just real quick, the, the scribe says, you've answered well. Jesus says to him, the kingdom of God is not far from you. You almost get it. You almost get it. Now let me ask you, what are you struggling with today that's more powerful than God's love? I just made a couple of quick lists, and this is how we're going to close today. And I am going to ask, uh, you know, if uh, if we're able to come up and maybe just play a little uh, little song or something like that. If you could do that, I'm putting the worship team on the spot. Um, it's because I love them. Um, <laughs> God's love is greater than your past. God's love is greater than your depression. God's love is greater than your pain. God's love is greater than your hate. God's love is greater than anger. God's love is greater than your doubt. God's love is greater than your fear. God's love is greater than your shame. God's love is greater than your anxiety. God's love is greater than your scars. God's love is greater than this world. And I don't know what you're struggling with in this room today, who you're struggling to love. But the very first part is going to have to be to make sure that this connection is right. In a moment, I'm going to ask you that if you want to come up for prayer, you can come up for prayer. I'm going to ask Travis and Alicia and Tiffany if you guys would come up. Uh, maybe and just sit up there and be ready to pray for anybody that comes up here and that needs prayer. Or if you just want to kneel at the cross, you can do that too. Or if you want the anointing of oil, we're going to make that available. But I just want to tell you some things. As I was writing this message, and I was walking the other day, I just had to let you know some things that God has changed in, in my life because of His love. All right? And maybe you'll go home and make a list like this, and I hope you do. God's love has changed my life. These are some of the things He can change. He's changed my ability to love others. He's changed my ability to love myself. God's love has changed the meaning of my life. God's love has changed my career direction. It changes the way I think. It changes the way I speak. It changes the way I act. It changes what I listen to and what I watch. It changes what behavior I imitate. It changes not only my present life, but my eternal destination. It changes the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I use my talents. God's love changes what I'm passionate about. Sometimes it changes the way I drive. God's love changes what excites me. God's love changes how I respond to adversity. God's love changes me as a father, as a son, as a friend, as a pastor, and as a man. These are just some of the things God can change. Maybe your list is going to look similar. Maybe it's going to look different. But here's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend some time. You know, we're this, this is a family. That's why I wanted to play that video. I love this, in case you can't tell. All right? 
I love this. So if you need prayer, you just need to kneel before that cross. Or if you want to come pray with someone, uh, the gals, I would ask that you pray with Tiff or Alicia. Um, guys, pray with Travis. Um, I'll be up here. Um, but let's just spend some time in prayer. And then when we're ready to, when we're good and ready to. All right, Father in heaven, we just love you. God, you're so good. You love us so very much. And your love changes everything. It just changes everything, Lord. And so continue, Father, as we look to the sun, that we would reflect you, love like you. We have been loved so well. Lord, we've been loved well. Help us to love well. In Jesus' name.